the first piece of advice that I would share is don't quit until you, until you, I mean, this is probably obvious, but you should have some landing pad, some place to go to before you leave your current role, if at all possible. And look around and, you know, talk to other vendors, talk to companies and see what you can do to find something, even part-time, as a way to kind of make the shift into being self-employed. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Brendan McAdams. Brendan's the co-founder of Expertscape and managing director of Kinetics. And in today's conversation, Brendan and I dig deep into the topic of the changing nature of how salespeople are employed. In short, we explore the question, are we approaching a time when most sellers will not be employed as full-time employees of the companies whose products they sell? In other words, will future sales employment look more like gig work? Or, alternatively, will it look more like professional sports, perhaps, where athletes auction off their services and sign huge guaranteed contracts? Except it will be the top sellers signing the huge contracts with much higher commission rates than they get today. We also dive into what the implications will be for sales leaders and organizations of hiring increasing numbers of gig-based sellers, because this is a trend that is happening. So all this and much, much more, but before we get to Brendan, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd also certainly appreciate if you could give us your feedback in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. All right, Brendan, welcome back to the show. Good to be here, Andy. Well, yeah, good to be here because good to have you because uh, <laughs> you had some like major open heart surgery. I did. So, yeah. So since the last time we spoke, I mean, I, I remember that we had talked that you were going to have surgery done. But um, so tell us about that. I mean, that's you had pretty significant work done. Oh, yeah. So that was uh, I had um, I had my my aortic valve replaced. And along with that, um, my. Um, the ascending aorta, which is the kind of the tube that runs right off the valve, off the top of your heart. And uh, that was due to an aneurysm that was kind of slowly stretching its way out. And, and they, um, and the, the, those two, the, the, the valve was failing because I have what's called a bicuspid valve. Instead of yes. three leaves, I have two. Two leaves, and yes. They, and they, um, so I, any, any of your listeners have that checked out. Make sure you don't, it's a congenital it thing. is. My, actually, I just had mine checked because my sister found out just three months ago that she had a bicuspid valve. So I went to my cardiologist to make sure that uh, I did not. And actually, I had an echocardiogram and the whole thing. So I'm, I'm good. Oh, that's good. It's, it's uh, reassuring because the thing with an aortic uh, valve that uh, with, with the uh, ascending aorta, as we talked about uh, off, offline, is um, if, if it breaks, you just die. You're dead, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah you just, a, there's a reason they call it the Widowmaker, and that's that's it. Yes. Yeah, and so they were monitoring it for a while, and then they decided, you know, the valve's getting bad enough; it's getting it calcifies and becomes less efficient, and so um, so they decided, oh, well, you know, it's probably time now to replace both at one time. And because I'm replacing both, you have to open your chest up and crack it open, and and uh, and go in there and and um, do whatever they do. Yeah. If if you just have a bad valve, they can now run it up through your thigh, through the right. femoral artery, which is fantastic, really, <laughs> and uh, and uh, which is amazing. It's like a um, 
a catheter, really, and it runs yeah. up into your heart, and then it just it crushes the old valve. I'm sure there's a different term for it, but it crushes the old valve out of the way and puts this new metal one in. But because I had to replace the ascending aorta at the same time, that wasn't an option, and so I got the whole the full treatment. Wow! So you got the mechanical valve. So I, a funny story about mechanical valves. I had a. I did not, by the way, but I will. Oh. I, but I. But go ahead, keep tell your story. Oh, okay. Well, he, he got a mechanical valve in his yeah. replacement, and he was a guy that I s swam with in master swimming program. And I remember seeing him in the hospital. He'd had open his chest was cracked open because that was then they went in. This is uh -huh. yeah, fifteen plus years ago, and yeah. and uh, remember seeing him stitched up. He had this lead sticking out of his wire lead sticking out of his chest. Did you have that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure. So it seems sort of weird, but but when he got back in the pool one day, he and I are swimming by ourselves. I guess it was after workout. We were warming down. We were the only two people in the pool, and I was swimming alongside him, and I could hear this click click. Click, oh, yeah. Click. Yeah. And I stopped him. I said, George, am I hearing your valve? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was. I was hearing his yeah. valve. It was kind of freaky. <laughs> well, uh, I could talk about this forever. But I, I, first of all, as you, some of your listeners may remember, I, I'm co-founder of a company called Expertscape that identifies and ranks medical experts by a specific right. topic. And my... My cardiologist is at Hopkins and happens to be world-ranked as a cardiologist. He's like one of the top guys in, in this particular area. And, um, and in the process of this, I ended up getting, you know, I got, get emails from doctors all the time. And I got an email from a doctor asking me a question about Expertscape. And, and I, I looked him up and it turns out I wrote him back and said, you happen to be the, the, one of the world experts in the very thing I'm, I've got a problem in, which is this aortic aneurysm. And he was really generous about it and said, oh, well, let me know. Keep me in the loop. I'm happy to help you out any way I can. And so I would send him my, I sent him my CAT scan, my uh, CAT scan results. And I got an MRI. I got, uh, I had a catheter done, <laughs> echo. I sent right. him reports and everything. He told me what to do. He gave me like, we went back and forth via email and, uh, and actually even told me which valve to get. And that's the, the point I was going to make was uh, I, I ended up getting um, uh, what's a biologic valve. It's, it's, it's man-made, mm -hmm. but it's made out of cow parts that right. have been cleaned. And the nice thing about it is you don't have, this is probably not, no one wants to hear about this, but uh, you, you don't have to take a, um, a blood thinner, right? So, so which, which makes oh, nice. it much, yeah. much less... But it does it does thump. It has a sort of a interesting, yeah. But it's it's good for several hundred beats. I'm pretty sure. It's got like a. I think I'm still under warranty for another <laughs> little bit. Yeah, I wouldn't want to. <laughs> got a bad one. Got to get it replaced. Doesn't sound like fun. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, say one other thing about this because it's a weird. This is kind of a weird observation, and that is, uh, but it was a truly transforming. And really, overall, really a wonderful experience getting surgery uh, in a in a weird way. And that is to be surrounded. I had it done at Hop at Johns Hopkins here in Baltimore, and to be surrounded by so many really talented people was mm -hmm. really quite inspiring. All the way through the nurses and the all the staff, the anesthesiologists, and of course my surgeon, who also had to be highly ranked in experts. Yeah. In experts. So, so uh, I would expect uh, it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was it was just it was surprisingly. Um, uplifting, which was oh, kind of, I did not expect that. Well, I mean, and you had it done in the middle of COVID too. So, I mean, that's. I did, yeah. 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 Had to be interesting itself right there. So, yeah. 
All right. We're glad everything's okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, so today we're going to talk about an interesting topic that um, we're going to talk about sales employment and sort yeah. of how it's changing, how it's going to change. And we've we've had guests on before. We've we've talked about various parts of this because you know, everybody talks about well, sales is changing, but they're talking about the the mechanics of sales, right? Yeah. And how you interact right. with buyers, but. Right. Perhaps a, a more overarching change is, yeah. What? How do sellers? How do they get employed? Right? Who? Who yeah. do they work for? Sure. Yeah. What's the nature of that work look like? And so I wanted to dig into that because right now, I mean, most salespeople are full-time employees of the companies they sell for. Yep. And there's certain right. exceptions by industry. You know, insurance uses commission-only agents, or you know, right. other door-to-door home products, and so on. Sure. Or even in B2B, I mean, I've used sales agents, uh, like when I was breaking into a new country overseas with a startup, you know, we yep. don't hire somebody, we had hire a commission-only agent, right? Or right. Mm-hmm. Yep. maybe there's a, a draw, but they were independent. But we really haven't seen much evolution beyond that. I'm talking about in selling, right? Because, yeah, yeah we've seen a huge you know, uptake in appointment setting services and outsourced appointment setting and outsourced lead gen. Yeah. Yeah. But in my mind, that's not selling, right? That's right. that's top of funnel, that's marketing, that's awareness building, so on. Right. But now we're starting to see maybe some trends toward fundamentally changing the nature of how, you know, we'll call them AEs or you know, yeah. sellers, I'll just call them sellers, yeah. are employed. So what are you seeing? Uh, I'm I'm seeing this this whole notion of the you know the gig economy or the this freelance or this solopreneur model is is um, you know it's it's very common in like you've said in other other parts of the business whether it's you know HR or accounting or what have you but uh, I'm definitely seeing an uptick and a, an increased likelihood that that startup companies in particular or companies that are going through some sort of a transition mm-hmm. growth new product line or what have you will now hire people that are on a contract basis and as a freelancer and as a frontline seller though as a frontline seller as right. and and I think there's a and I I've been doing it for you know for a decade um and and I think that that it's it's a pretty compelling argument for a lot of companies and also for a lot of individual salespeople. So what do you think is compelling for the company? I think that, first of all, when someone hires a freelance or an independent salesperson, they're getting someone, they get to pick someone that, uh, that they can hire for an interim period of time. They hire them and they can let them go at the drop of a, you know, at, at very short notice. And, and typically, the, the, the contractor, the, the salesperson knows this going in. They know that they're a short-term employee. It's it's they don't want to be an employee in most cases, mm-hmm. and and the consequence of that is is that when they when the when the contract period ends, they leave under good terms. They everything comes back, you know. They're they're quite happy to transition things back, and and they get so that's one one advantage. They get someone. They can typically get someone who's experienced. Let's say you're let's say your company and. Yeah, what is the circumstance you'd want to hire somebody for a short term? You know, bring in someone that, and we'll get to you know how you qualify yeah. whether they're the sure. right person or not. But sure. I mean, what's what's the driving factor? To say, look, 
yeah, we could be undergoing you know, a change. Maybe we're going into a new market segment. Yep. We need to bring yep. some bodies to bear. Yep. yep. So at that point, you're saying, look, I'm going to hire somebody who's got some some what, right? Industry experience or yep. people with track record, yep. regardless of mm -hmm. industry. What am, I, what am I really looking for at that point? Well, it, 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 you know, the, the circumstances may change or, or be dependent upon the circumstances you, who you look for. But an, a good example would be in healthcare. There are a lot of, a lot of companies that uh, go and build a tool, build some sort of a solution for healthcare, and then, and then don't really know how to sell into healthcare because of the payment, the reimbursement models that mm -hmm. are there. The, you know, healthcare is a particularly uh, onerous example because, right. um, you know, the person that gets the service is oftentimes not the person that pays for the service. And so how do you get reimbursed knowing, the, knowing just how to navigate that, who to sell to? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you know, it, it helps to find someone uh, f from a um, who 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 has some experience in that market. Um, and typically, you might even hire somebody experienced to get a team up and running and and kind of transfer that knowledge over to someone who is an employee. And so, it it makes a ton of sense to hire someone for a part time basis for thirty, sixty, ninety days to help you know, to help ramp up sales. If you've got a new product, in some cases you, you have someone leave. Mm -hmm. If you have somebody leave in short order, I mean, you know, in certain niches, certain markets, you could hire someone from outside who knows the market and can get up to speed rather quickly and can, and kind of keep the wheels in the wagon, so to speak, for a period of time until you hire and backfill one or more positions. But you don't think so? I just want to move somebody over internally that they already had on staff to do that, or well, it depends on how much staff they have. If it's a, yeah. if it's a big company, if it's if it's IBM or Salesforce or someone like that, they um, they have people that they can point around. If if it's a if it's a six or ten or twenty person company, they may not. You know, hmm. so it, it really it's going to depend upon the size. Yeah, I mean, it's a really, and that's certainly one example, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. But I'm also seeing examples, admittedly a small sample size at this point, but also seeing examples with more established, bigger companies yeah. that have top performers where the top performers are saying, you know, this relationship we have, you know, is small. <laughs> I'm producing, yeah. but it's more yeah. slanted in your favor than mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we could, needs to be structured differently. Yeah. Uh, are you seeing that as well? Oh yeah, I think I think there are a lot of advantages for for good salespeople. Uh, there, I have this belief that, um, like it or not, there is a there is a migration towards this uh, an an expert economy, and people that are really good at what they do are gonna are gonna do fine as the economy moves forward. And so, so if you're good at sales, then you have a lot more flexibility, maneuverability. If you're self-employed. And and there will be there will be people w without doubt who will need your services, and I think that gives you the ability to you have a lot more control over your own destiny in terms of territory, in terms of product line, in terms of of um, you know workload, what have you. Mm -hmm. So you're painting a picture, which I happen to agree. I think we're we're tending toward. Yeah, because I think sellers would want to as well, especially those yeah. at the, uh, you know, sort of the top of the game that that can you know have demonstrated track records and capabilities and so on. Is yeah. that yeah, yeah? I mean, 
they can command more sure. for their services than they get yeah. as an employee. Yeah. Right? Is is that they can say, look, the value I'm creating for you yeah. as an enterprise yeah. is X and you are going to yeah. pay me 1% of X before and yeah. you know, I can I can deliver this X, but it's yeah. going to cost you 10% of yeah. of that. Exactly. And you and you get the benefit of being your own business too. You so there are all the all the all the um the benefits that come with being self-employed and the and the disadvantages that come with self being self-employed um are there for you you know in terms of you know um savings plans and things like that but on the downside the, the one of the negatives one of the real negatives that i i i talk about a lot is healthcare i mean if mm-hmm. you're self-employed and you're 45 or 50 years old with a family you're you're probably out of the gate looking at a Thirty-five or forty-five thousand dollars a year in terms of healthcare expense. So that's a that's one of the downsides. So so going out on your own, being a self-employed, is a it, that that is one of the that's one of the negatives. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so let's let's start back at the top. So let's say you're a sure. company. You're looking at <laughs> at uh, yeah, it could be a new campaign. It could be a new product. It could yep. be you're just new in general. Yeah. Um, so you bring in people. You're generally going to bring in people that, again, you think are top performers. Yep. Uh, I, I think this yep. flexibility is, at least initially, is just going to be yep. more about that that category of people. Yep. Which is can be fairly broad. I mean, it, it's not the top two percent. It could be the top twenty percent or more. Right. So as a company, you start to think, well, sh- yeah, the temptation is going to be could be is to say, well, look. I'm going to hire this type of expertise for the really tough accounts or yep. the ones that the biggest accounts. And then you got people that have as employees that look at that and say, well, what's my motivation to really work hard here? Cause there's no path forward. Cause all the good stuff gets given to outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, it, I guess it depends how that, how that breaks down, but um, there are, I'm, I'm, there are ways to certainly make that work. I've had, I haven't run into a lot of, I haven't run into a lot of that simply because in a lot of cases, the people that are employed as salespeople mm-hmm. want to be employed as sales, as opposed to being, as opposed to being a contractor, contractor. independent. Right. It's a little bit of a, it's a definitely a mind shift. You got to decide you want to do something because there, there, there is, I would argue it's not as uh, real. It's more imagined than real, but there's, there's imagined job security as a, as an employee. That doesn't exist when you're a self-employed. Yeah, I think it sort of depends by some of these regulations, various state to state. I think. Yeah. I was trying to think. I remember in California, I think if you're, yeah, they have sort of these what constitutes an employee, and some of it is, I don't know if it's percentage of work or uh, where the locus of control sits, right? If yeah, if, <laughs> well, if that's somebody's a... dictating your activity and what you do, yeah. then you're basically an employee, even if you're you're signed as a contractor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it does bring up the sort of interesting idea if you sort of think about it, sort of looking forward, yeah. is you know, as a company, you could let's say you're a startup, you could say, look, why would we employ any salespeople, right? right. If there's this talent pool that's out there, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to have these people as 1099s. It might cost me a little bit more, but yeah, I do have the flexibility. If you know things go south, I can terminate more quickly. That's one. Uh, yeah, I don't have healthcare. I don't have office expense, which you know may be less of a concern post pandemic yeah. if if they're not yeah. using office space. But um, it certainly gives you more flexibility in terms of 
where you recruit talent, yeah. which serve, uh, you know, an effect of the pandemic as well as companies are are looking more broadly at talent and from a geographic standpoint. But yeah. but there's certain benefits you could say, well, huh? Why ever have employed salespeople? Yeah, um, I, it's uh, well, I th- I think there are. I think there are advantages to both there, but there are, there are, uh, you know, if you're a virtual company for virtual company, you can literally have, you know, no employees or just a figurehead, you know, a CEO, and then everything else is outsourced, um, to various departments and the, and the entire sales organization can be outsourced to an organization that, that just focuses on sales and they, and they, and then they're compensated based on a percentage of, Mm -hmm you know, some sort of a retainer perhaps, or entirely based on performance, or they've get an equity stake in the company. All those things are, are out there. Those are, there are, there are examples of all those uh, instances now. Um, the, the, the question is more of a philosophical one, I think, or a strategic one, I guess. And that is how much of your, of your secret sauce needs to stay within the, the, the the confines of the company in a way and 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 how and and how much can you do a better job internally than you can externally when you're a startup early stage you may you may want to have fractional salespeople and in which case that may be more cost effective it may it may be that you don't need a full-time salesperson or or you know in my in my line of work now i'm actually talking to founders Mm-hmm. And telling them that they don't want to hire sales, they they shouldn't hire salespeople until they themselves have made sales for the for the company themselves. Right, and there are a lot of good reasons for that oh, too. Sure. So, um, so, so, and but then at some point they make enough sales, and it may very well make sense to to bring someone on on a contract basis, or bring a couple people on as a contract basis, and then convert them to employees, or 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 just have them in place knowing that they're going to at some point ramp up uh, enough and scale to the point where they need to replace uh, contractors with full-time employees and and then well, at why, that point but why would they yeah. do that if 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 the contractors doing great right i mean yeah, they, yeah then, exactly, well, exactly. the temptation is you and i've worked in enough companies ourselves yeah. to know that yeah. Yeah, the higher ups hate writing big checks to sellers, and so if they had a contractor yeah. that was making big bucks, they'd say, "Well, certainly we can do this less expensively by bringing this yeah. in house." Yeah, and it's always self defeating behavior, but yeah. it is fairly traditional among corporate management. Is everybody hates to pay sales what they're worth? So, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, you, know, I think the dynamics change if you have this more. Yeah, fluid base of sellers out there that are selling their services based on the value they can provide. Yeah, Uh, I think it changes the game quite a bit. I mean, I think you the ramifications can be fairly substantial. Um, And as I said, there's a small segment of sellers I know who are doing this today, Mm -hmm. redefining this relationship. And. yeah, I think the let's start at the top because I think there's really a shortage of people who are really quite good, who are yeah. demonstrably good. Yeah, I think that's where it starts, right? I mean, I can. Right. I've often joked the sort of I thought my next career would be as a talent agent for top sellers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that there, there's 
there's definitely some someone needs to aggregate that mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and ultimately grow that. And you know, you you do that through this podcast. I mean, you know, you people end up listening to podcasts, end up getting to be better. Well, at least they should be getting better at at their jobs. Well, and so, in you know, why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's you think about the just sort of the mindsets that have to shift, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's um, let's just start on the employer side. Is that have yeah. to be comfortable that to your point is that well, sort of the secret sauce. Can come yeah. and go, but the fact is, you look at turnover rates yeah. among yeah. sellers. Anyway, it comes and goes, right. regardless, right? Yeah, it's because right. of the policies you have in place, or your management team, or yeah. lack of product market fit, whatever. Right. Who stays <laughs> in sales more than a couple of years? Right. Yeah. And actually, we know that. Yeah, serving the tech industry, well, the average tenure of CROs is eighteen months. So you got to figure this. The sellers themselves map somewhat to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming and going anyway. So this whole idea that you build up this culture and this practice, uh, sort of illusory for for most companies, at least unless those that become big, like Salesforce and so on. Um, yeah, but for the bulk of the companies out there, that just doesn't happen. So why not default to trying to find the best people? And this is this is the thing I think where the mindset shift comes in is is that lots of companies. Say they want to hire the best people, but they really want to hire on the cheap. Yeah, yeah. This this is really it is it really is a bit of a mind shift because the you know this this notion of you know job security being in sales is well I you know I I don't think it's it's I don't think it's real in most no. cases and you know comp plans change um, territories change management changes all these things. And you're at the whim. If you're in accounting, your salary is probably going to stay the same from year to year, and you're going to get you might get some cost of living bump yeah, or some you promotion. Bump a boost, right. But but in sales, your your income could dramatically change from one year to the next, and due to factors completely outside of your control. And and what do you do? Do you quit and go somewhere else? I guess in a lot of cases you do. But you know. Um, I, I used to run into situations where customers, I usually represent that I just work for the company. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't know that I'm not an employee. But sure. every now and then, they, it's for whatever reason, they, they understand that I'm a contractor. And it used to be that that would cause them some puzzlement, but it, it really doesn't anymore. And so I think, I think this whole notion of this solopreneur, you know, entre- entrepreneurial gig economy kind of model is going to, is going to, seep into sales just like it does every other job description. And more so, I agree. So if you're a seller right now and you're saying, okay, interesting, Brandon's making some interesting points. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'd love the freedom and flexibility I've sort of enjoyed in the past year, working from home or from anywhere. That's right. Want to continue that. Um, Yeah, I think I've can do a good job. I did a good job. I continue to do a good job, but I'd yeah. like to make a sample, lots of yeah. different environments. How do you set yourself up to do that? Well, I, the, the first piece of advice that I, that I would share is you don't, don't quit. And when, <laughs> until you, until you, I mean, you should, you should, I mean, this is probably obvious, but you should, right. you should have some, have some landing pad, some place to go to before you 
leave your current role if at all possible if you can you know and 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 look around and you know talk to other vendors talk to companies and and see what you can do to find something even part time um uh as a way to kind of make the shift into into being self employed so that would be one, that would be the first piece of advice i would have is don't just just don't uh jump without knowing where you're jumping to yeah um yeah, I sort of agree. I mean, I, so I started my company. I just, I just jumped, but uh, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I think not clear. I still do, but, but um, yeah. I mean, I think that that for sellers to to think about this idea of okay, I want to be a gig seller. Yeah, is you have to really understand what you're good at. Yeah, it's how, yeah. And more importantly, that how you do it, right? This is this is something that frustrates yeah. me a lot when I talk with sellers. Is they don't understand why they win, right? They don't understand yeah. the things they do that really yeah. have an impact during the buying process. Yeah, and you really have to sit down and spend some time reflecting, maybe asking peers or colleagues. Um, or even customers, which I've done in the past. Yes. Is yep. what you're good at and why. Yeah. You know, what's your philosophy? Because if you're gonna go sell yourself as this yeah. contract employer that's gonna come yeah. in, you know, serve as a hired gun to, to maybe fix a problem or to help, you know, transition or help enter a new market. Yep. Yep. That's you have to right. understand why you're gonna be able to do a good job in that environment. Yes. And what and what the environment is that you need to be going into because it's you can't assume if you're going to be a a gig salesperson that you could succeed equally well in any environment. This idea that you can sell anything is is you know yes. an illusion. Yes, totally agreed. Um, so so you're you're kind of talking about ideal customer profile or uh, product market in, fit in start, a sense. Start start yourself right. You know, yeah. What are you what are you able to do? Yeah. I mean that's yeah I. Yeah, at what point in my career I did this, but I, yeah, I sat down into this inventory uh, and I still have it somewhere <laughs> is, is, yeah, what I believe, right? My, sort of my philosophy of sales, how sales works, how customers make decisions, uh, how, how what I did had an impact and created orders. Um, yeah. And if you don't have that, that sort of self-understanding, then, because you are the product, right? So, right. You right. can't understand if you have a market fit if you're not yeah. really sure or don't really truly understand what the product is. Right, right, and yeah, and so you're 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 trying to figure out, you know, you you this that's an excellent point. You want to f do some self examination, figure out what is your exact niche, and if you get if you can identify that exact niche, where you're good, you know, where all your your skill sets overlap in in that unique spot, and then go and talk to those people. Somebody in that in that crowd is going to need somebody. Mm -hmm. Maybe not today. Maybe not in a month. But um, but th there will be demand. Yeah. Well, I think this is. As I said we're sort of talking about the future that's still yeah. uncertain. But I I think the other thing that sort of plays into this is that I think increasingly sellers want more autonomy. You know, they understand. Yes. yes. The company doesn't really care about them. They understand right. that they're right. exceedingly right. vulnerable at the whim right. of an organization. Right. No one really cares about them but themselves. Yeah. And if that's 
really the case, then yeah, I want more control, right? If you're going to judge me, yeah, and I I believe this firmly. I think <laughs> is you know you're a seller and and you're being forced to comply to a certain process or whatever, and yeah, yeah, yeah. being measured to death by you know the metrics and the KPIs, and right. you think, well, hey, there's a better way to do it, but I really don't have the freedom to try to. Yeah, yeah. Sellers exactly. want that. I mean, I think that and oh. I think that autonomy is is not only important. I think there's also <laughs> a growing body of research that shows that you know when people are in charge of the choices they make, they they tend to perform better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They they you know you're you're being paid based on it's it's actually exactly what sales is, and that is you're being paid for production. You're being paid for your for your accomplishments and not for the hours that you put in. And, um, yeah, I think there are tremendous benefits for sellers, uh, that can, that can kind of make this transition, uh, just in terms of the control that they have over their lives. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's, and we're not just talking hours you work and so on. It's, it's having control over your life. Yeah. I mean, I, absolutely. I, yeah, you know, I learned early in my career that I couldn't be like the prototypical salesperson. I'm not salesy at all. And that was the yeah. way I was trained. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm in the shortest career in the world if I have to be like that. Yeah. And so I I always sort of carved my own path. And I was, I guess, fortunate enough on one hand to in most instances succeed so I could do that. Um yeah. mm -hmm. had bosses that were enablers that way, which is what you need. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I look at myself, if I had to be in some sales environments that I see today, it's like, there's just no way. Yeah. That, that a, I couldn't do it, but also it's just, it's just seems counterproductive, seems oppressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think, yeah, if you're sort of dictating the terms of your employment, I mean, if you're coming in as a, a contractor, yeah, you have the ability to define. Sure. To some yeah. like greater or lesser degree, your work conditions. Yeah, it's it, it maybe as simple as you don't you don't have as much, yeah. You know, that there's the downsides to it. You don't have that office environment. Not that we've had much of that in the last year, but uh, you don't have the camaraderie of camaraderie of fellow employees. But you also don't have the, all the you know the incessant sales calls and you know internal meetings and so forth. You're basically hired. You may have to you may you know you you may have to take part in a in a status call once a week or something like yeah. that. But generally sure. speaking. Y your time is yours, and 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 then your your ability to produce is based on your own effort, and and and. Well, I think as a mindset for sellers, and I yeah. I had this as a hiring manager, which is uh, in startups where, yeah, I wanted to hire people on a contract before I hired them as a full time employee, right? right. I wanted to try yeah. them out, try and buy, sure. yeah, uh, which yeah, you know, some people really don't like, right? They're not comfortable with because they're looking for that job. But yeah. as a seller, you could also think about, huh, that could be a good way to get this this job. Yeah, you know, I want to get into this company is I'm gonna propose that they hire me as a contractor. And if it's yeah. works out yeah. for six months, we have the option either to become a full time employee or keep on the, the current basis. You may find you want to stay as a contractor. Or not or not work with them anymore. Or I mean, more, yeah. yeah, I mean, there there are definitely situations where I've worked for customers 
And after the 90-day engagement, the initial engagement, I've said, all right, this is good. Thanks. This has been great and appreciate it. Here's every, here's all your information. Here's your like lead lists and blah, blah, blah. And well, so tell us, what did you do? What did you, were you able to get accomplished within 90 days that you got paid for? I presume in 90 days you're probably getting paid a fee as opposed to a fee plus commission. Yeah, I, w- I would argue, so that's part of what I talk about uh, is the importance of of how you structure that relationship. I mean, that, that, that contract with the, right. the company. And I, I insist on uh, a retainer mm-hmm. plus some sort of, plus some sort of compensation for upside. Right. And the retainer is, is, has at least a, I'm sure you'll agree with this sort of logic, uh, but just knowing, knowing, listen, being an avid listener, but um, it does at least a couple things. One, it focuses the mind for the customer. And that is the your your, your employee, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, they they um, they end up um, investing in you because they're paying money yep. to get you up to speed and do well. Number one, and so it's it's invaluable to them to pay a retainer and and um, and and secondly, because you know for commission only deals, you you could do an infinite number of them. Everyone will hire you on a commission only basis. Everybody will if they don't right. pay you, they'll definitely yeah. hire you to work, right? And, yeah, and and the other reason is uh, if you're a salesperson, a, a professional salesperson, you will ine- inevitably get hired in. You get drawn into all sorts of other aspects of the company, and they will proceed to use you for all sorts of marketing and messaging and other cons- like you become a consultant. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in many of my, in at least a couple of my engagements, more than a couple, I've ended up becoming a kind of a fractional chief revenue officer. Right. Where I have the the whole sales team reports to me, and yep. you know I've got you know, and I'm so. So you need to have some sort of a retainer in place to cover for those events because all of a sudden you're not doing just sales. You're doing, you're doing strategy and marketing and all. So, which is fun. It's, it's engaging and it's, it's, it's more, it's, it uses, it uses the brain, uh, in a different way. Uh, but, but you need to get reimbursed for that. Yeah. And I'm with you. I mean, spent years doing fractional, uh, VP work for CRO work for the, yeah, most part. Um, sure. But even those environments, sometimes I was going in as the first person, right? The only seller right. in the company. Right. But yeah, I I always insisted on a retainer because first of all, I had no idea about the product, whether the product right. worked or not. Yeah, uh, you know, I right. I could talk, and I always did. I'd always talk to a couple of customers and yep. so on, do due sure. diligence, but. We all know how that goes in right. terms of uh, <laughs> the yeah. names of people you're talking to and and the like. So that can all be set up ahead of time. Sure. So yeah, if you're going to do this, yeah, retainer basis is got to have a retainer. Um, and yeah, I think the other thing, yeah, be careful about the at least from my experience about the incentive portion of it because yeah. generally for the first 90 days, maybe even 180 days, you may yeah. find there's just not much there, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it really de- it depends on the product. Despite and what they told you. Right, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, that is one of the things that you, you know, this is the classic, you know, problem that salespeople come in. They get enticed to come in. Oh, we've got this pipeline. Here it is. We've got this this backlog of customers that you, you would be assigned and then you, you get on board and, and <laughs> it's – 
it's it's some report. It's not there. <laughs> and uh, and or, you know, and so when you go in as a as a contractor, you you pretty much I you pretty much have to go in assuming that 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 most if not it's just not there. And yeah. so you're you're in a you're in a developmental role, and um, and if you're not, and if all of a sudden something materializes, great, but assume that it doesn't. Um, yeah. And and going back to the point you made originally, it, um, at the beginning of this particular uh, topic, there is a great it is a great way to start with a company as an employ as a contractor, mm-hmm. and that is to to go in as a contractor for six for thirty sixty ninety days and get a lay of the land, right, and then decide. Whether or not, and then I I don't think there's a stigma anymore for this. I mean, I think that the this notion that salespeople are going to be at a company for five or ten years is I I don't see it play out in real life anymore. No, no and, if, very rarely. And, if, and if it does, you're very fortunate or you're very tolerant as a salesperson. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I I. Yes, I agree. I mean, it's it's it depends who you, you run into, right? Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, it's very hard to stay at a company for a long time in sales, and yeah. that's just our natural. Companies go through cycles. Uh, maybe their technology yeah. gets tired. Uh, yeah. yeah, they don't they refresh pivot, fast whatever. enough. You're yeah. not as competitive. Sure, a number of reasons. Yeah, and yeah, I don't think people look at it as a personal failing anymore that you you change between companies. Right. But I think for as a seller, is yeah, if I were yeah, an age where I was yeah, sort of prime sales career, and I was looking at at uh, a new job. I I'd probably prefer to start as as a contract yeah. seller, as a consultant, yeah. for the reasons yeah. we talked about. So sort of scope out the lay of the land. Um, yeah, get a chance to see what's real, what's not. See what the boss is like, managers are like. Uh, yeah. Find out really where you can make a contribution, because yeah, to your point earlier. Territories could have changed. Account lists could have changed. You may not be right. working the same people you thought. Of course, you're going to detail all that very clearly in, in any contract you sign yep. uh, where you define the scope of the work and what your deliverables are. But And that that is also part of the art. If you're going to be on your own and you're selling your, as a contract salesperson, right. you got to be very explicit when you uh, sign an agreement that right. – you understand exactly what you're being asked to do and what the deliverables right. are because yeah. a you want to make sure you can achieve them b you want to get yes. paid yeah um yeah. so yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's sort of <laughs> under under promise over deliver if you can yeah scenario but it's that's that's the sort of trickier part but you want to be very well conservative i yeah i absolutely and and so you know, you can make a proposal to a company, uh, to a hiring company, and 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 you know suggest some likely outcome, but you you can't guarantee it because you don't really know what the company is like on the inside, and you may not know for like I like you've mentioned thirty, sixty, ninety days before you really know what the likelihood of success might be. Well, yeah, you think about. I think every one of us who's in sales has had the experience, perhaps those who must have been around longer, I've had it more than once. Is yeah, within the first two days at a company, you're going, mm. yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> this oh, yeah. this is going to be a problem. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, it's a, that's why I ultimately that's why I went out on my own is because I had a couple of those in a row, 
And yeah. I, you know, I got hired by the CEO and knew someone on the board and still you land there and wait a minute, this is not what we bargained for at all. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't always control those things. I had one situation I went to as a vice president, general manager, where I had, I looked at the books, right? Yeah. I had, I had financial yeah. statements I looked at. Yeah. Not, they weren't the real financial statements. <laughs> uh, I mean, as complete PL and balance sheet, but it uh, was not the one that uh, they were operating on when I came on board. <laughs> and I was like, wow, do due diligence. And I, I've had other friends that have gone through the same thing where they've, yeah. Oh, yeah. they've done incredible depths of due diligence. And yeah, it turned out it's just smoke and mirrors. So um, yeah, being a contractor in that case gives you a little more flexibility. Maybe you have yeah. to. You know, you've got an out in 69 days if it can't pan out. Um, yeah. So, but I just think in general, I mean, it's, it's our wrapping this up is, is I think if you're a seller in this environment today, yeah. I think you're better off being independent. And yeah. yeah, there's downsides in terms of healthcare costs. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe you've got a Cobra plan from you know previous company. You want to hang on to those or sure. uh, yeah. partner or spouse has, has uh, medical benefits yep. but that's right. which i've you know we all do what we got to do in that regard but yeah but uh yeah i think the opportunity if if you're really confident in what you can accomplish if you've accomplished you know had a good track record you think maybe yeah. you could have done even better in different circumstances you're sure. prepared to bet on yourself yeah you like the for me when i started my own consulting company back 20 plus years ago it was about Doing just sort of what you're talking about is is I wanted to experience lots of different things, right? Yeah. I wanted to yeah, exactly. experience lots of different companies instead of just being at one for five or ten yeah. years at a time. And uh, yeah, you get that. So it's worth considering because I, I think I'm really a big believer this is gonna happen. I'm seeing the beginnings of it. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about it happening at the top of the funnel, but mid-funnel, and there's even companies like uh Oh, like emissary, um, where if you've heard of that, uh, we've had the founder was on a couple few years ago. Where what they do is they companies can contract with through emissary for let's say you're selling to a Fortune 500 company is yeah. emissary creates a network of people that used to work at that company that yeah. you can hire to help sort of guide you through the the sales process. You know those they weren't all sellers that are emissaries, but some are, but yeah, the nature of selling is changing and the nature of employment. And yeah. yeah, at the end of the day, companies want results. And I think I think maybe one of the outgrowths, hopefully one of the outgrowths of, of the pandemic and is that companies are more flexible in terms of, yeah, I don't need to have this person actually work for me as we just want results. Right, right. And and one one interesting point is you don't have to have one, you can have more than one customer at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, there's a non competitive, yeah. Non competitive, exactly. Um, uh, but complementary oftentimes. There's a, there's a kind of a switching cost that limits you. You can't, you can't do a whole bunch of them necessarily. At least I couldn't. Mm -hmm. But you could, but you can also kind of have a certain amount of insurance by having more than one customer at the same time. And, and that, that can be, that can be, uh, really attractive if you if you if you if you coordinate it properly yeah as a fractional i had a hard time 
doing more than two at a time. Yeah, just same, same. Switching, here. switching mentally. Yeah, um, exactly. Between them was was difficult. Uh, yeah. The only thing that would be good is if they were really in dramatically different fields. So sometimes I'd have, a, I'd actually have a B to C with a B to B. Um, okay. Well, B to C to B to B to C. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so as long as they were sort of dramatically different. Yeah, could sort of do that, but if they were, yeah, if they're too close to yeah. a sort of the limit, no, it's yeah, it's then then it yeah it does get confusing. It gets it gets it get, there becomes a conflict and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I think the other thing too for people to consider is is you know one of the things about having control over your life in this way and working as a fractional yeah. seller or a fractional VP or director of sales, whatever, is uh, the choice you can make about lifestyle. Right, I and mean, for me. Yeah. I did it yeah. almost exclusively as a lifestyle choice. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd been I'd spent the previous fifteen years traveling the world incessantly and and for business and yeah. you know two three hundred thousand miles a year and was gone all the time and yeah. started my business to be there yeah. for my kids. So I was the dad that went to every game and every recital yeah. and yeah you know, theater production and so on. Yeah. And yeah, for a period of time, I wasn't trying to optimize my income. Right. Uh, as making enough sure but yeah i didn't try to optimize it and that gave me the flexibility to be able to do that without you know working full-time for a company and and feeling obligated to you know work 68 hours a week and then and then do this for that matter the podcast and well this was this was after yeah but yeah yeah but yeah certainly it gives you more flexibility to do things you want so yeah well yeah i think it's a yeah, we're just trying to explore ideas here today. But for sure. people that are, are listening to it, it's it's something to consider is is be open-minded, either if you're an employer about how you're yeah. going to engage salespeople, or if you're sure. a seller, yeah. how do you really find the true worth of of what yeah. your of your value, right? Yeah, right. And yeah. to employers and being independent, I think is one of the best ways to do that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, Brendan. I'm glad you're healthy and uh, through <laughs> that ordeal. Too. Yeah. And uh, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, probably brendanmcadams.com is the easiest link to remember. Um, I'm on Twitter, the same Brendan McAdams on Twitter. And uh, uh, the, the website is Kinetics. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be a, a future, I'm, well, now a podcaster too. So I'm, yeah, I know. Know. I look yeah. forward to being on your show. Yeah. That'll be excited for that. It'll be great. That'll be great. All right. Well, Brendan, thank you so much. Andy, pleasure always. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Brendan McAdams, for sharing his wisdom with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.